This is the Horse Radio Network. Welcome to Adulting with Horses, the podcast for weird horse girls, and the best place to be if you can't be at the barn. Put down the muckrake, turn up the volume, and let's have some fun. Hey, you are listening to Adulting with Horses, the best place to be if you can't be at the barn. We are your co-hosts and equine authors, Heather Wallace and Natalie keller Reinhardt. As crazy horse girls, we don't take ourselves too seriously in the saddle or out. We celebrate the things that make us different. Join us as we talk about horses and pop culture and get a little weird in a fun way. Hi, I'm your co-host, Heather Wallace. I'm an author and blogger at The Timid Rider. As a returning adult equestrian, I have a lot of nerves in the saddle, but no one can say that about me in life because I'm bold and some may even say sassy. I'm based in New Jersey and I'm not afraid to say what I think. So buckle in and let's have some fun. Hi, I'm your co-host Natalie Keller Reiner author of equestrian fiction like the Eventine series and Grabby Maine. After spending years as a pro in equine industries, from breeding to racing to three-day eventing, I have a diverse background and I'm always looking to shake things up even more. I'm a Florida girl based near Ocala, which gives me a great view of our crazy but fun equestrian culture. Yay! Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Adulting with Horses podcast, where... Natalie Keller Reiner and myself, Heather Wallace, have come together as Weird Horse Girls to celebrate other Weird Horse Girls. Hi, Natalie. Hello, Heather. How are you? I'm really good. Um, sitting in a little studio that I made out of my husband's old music room. So I'm taking over the house. Oh my gosh. That's so much better than a she shed because you just straight up said, no, the master living space is for me. Just put him in the garage. Yeah, I mean, who needs a she shed when you could have the entire house? I mean, really, if anybody should live in the woods, it's him. Absolutely. Queen of your domain. That's, <laughs> That's right. Slowly taking over. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my dream has come to fruition. So <laughs> he well, said he didn't want it anymore. So I just hopped in there. Yeah. Like, what is he doing with that? I sent everyone out because I'm in the sort of empty shell of the apartment I've been living in for six years and uh I said everybody has to go you have to leave um next week when I'm in my house and I'm in my closet where I plan on making a podcast cave you're welcome to stay in the home quietly but for today no off to Starbucks with you bye-bye I love that you're just cracking the whip oh it's great you know I'm a media personality Heather and you, you know, know famous people get perks they get perks privacy. and maybe I don't get perks in public but I sure want them in my own home <laughs> you know that's kind of the opposite to what I have you know I'll come home I'll come home from a conference or an awards and I'll be like guys I won an award and my family goes great what's for dinner there's garbage you need to take out oh so, no 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 yeah no. it's the opposite I'm not allowed to get a big head oh I only have a big head <laughs> <laughs> that's fair well at least you've trained them well so I might need to take notes that's a future episode I think like, absolutely notes from Natalie <laughs> <laughs> I love it well and I thought because this is our first ever episode that it might be really fun if you and I 
had a chat and and let all the listeners because you know there's going to be so many cross fingers mm-hmm. uh get to know us a little bit yeah I'm super interesting so they're gonna love me yeah and <laughs> super humble too as you guys will all find out as we continue on Natalie is the most humble of humbles and that's what makes her so much fun <laughs> I invented humble pie is that a bad thing wait <laughs> you know it's, it's you gotta know your worth Natalie I'm just saying <laughs> So if anybody ever needs to pick me up, let Natalie help you do that. She will show you the way. <laughs> well, since we are humble pie, why don't we start with you? No pressure or anything. Ooh. Why don't you go ahead and uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a little backstory, origin story, if you will. Oh, my villain backstory. Are you the villain or the superhero? Oh, well, but you know what? Don't tell us yet because that's coming later. Oh, we already know now. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> You know, I always did like the villain best. Um, That's a true fact. And I used to wonder why villains were villains. They were usually the most interesting character on the show I was watching or the movie or whatever. And it took me a really, really long time to learn the basic element of story, which is that (laughs) the bad person has to exist so the good person looks good. I just, it just, it just didn't, you know, as an author, I shouldn't be admitting this, but some of these basic elements of story escaped me. But anyway, villainous, uh, you know, I'm just a horse girl, man. I'm just a horse girl who's done a lot of crazy stuff. I um, spent most of my teenage twenties and thirties jumping from one job to the next, learning everything that I can, because I'm super curious and very easily bored. So some people have suggested to me that might be an ADHD thing. I think I was the one who suggested that to you. You are one of like a dozen <laughs> in the past month to be, you know, Natalie. <laughs> because same. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit of everything, man. I have been uh, an events groom, an events rider. I have worked in horse racing. I've been a mounted officer in New York City. I have bred draft horses. Uh, and you know, just generally out there looking to learn absolutely everything I can. And then I am a novelist because I was meant to be an author. That was why I was born and put on this earth. Like I just tell stories. And so I just pour all of that into my books. And mostly that's what I do with my life as I, as I just sit around and, and write stories. And you're based in Florida. I'm based so in Florida, which that's is horse country. Yeah. I just moved to a farm in uh, North Florida, about 45 minutes from Ocala. And um, I have a pony and my pony's buddy is a miniature horse. And so everything on my farm is very small right now, which I super love because it's easier to take care of. Well, now I see that you really do like the villains because the right ponies are, and mini horses are not exactly uh, superhero fodder. You know, <laughs> in our world, everybody assumes that they're naughty. Oh, they're terrible. But that's the personality, you know, that's like the spice of life, you know. I do like a little spice. (laughs) I do like a little spice. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know, I have a pony too. So, I mean, I can completely relate to this. And uh, I also would like to say I choose, I would like to think I choose the superhero, but generally I'm I'm more attracted like physically to the supervillain. And I don't know. I don't know if it's the, and I, I'm talking, you know, I mean, just bad boy vibes, right? Because isn't there something nice 
about someone who doesn't always follow the rules and has a mind of themselves, like who think for themselves and question authority. There's something really intellectually and physically stimulating about that. I like it on an intellectual level, on a like in a sort of reality level, I am actually really freaked out by actual conflict. <laughs> um, <laughs> I only like fictional conflict. And so I need I need a, a mental villain who is a sort of um, in real life, a total Boy Scout, if that's okay. <laughs> no, I think that's fair because there is a big difference between fiction and reality, right? And that's what so they tell I me. As authors, we have to know the difference um, because in, in the general scheme of things, I mean, I'm a, I'm a good girl. Like I'm a rule follower. I'm as good as they come. I might be a little sassy about it, but, you know, I will not confront any authority and tell them to shove it because I'm just way too nice. <laughs> so, and yet I've you know, been in your car, so I know how to drive. <laughs> I am from New Jersey, Natalie. Okay, don't judge. You flaunt authority daily. Don't lie. <laughs> If there's any police out there listening, um, no, she I, doesn't. Can use, I can use a, a PBA card or something <laughs> about right about now. Um, well, yes, thanks for the opening. I live in New Jersey <laughs> and I drive like it. Um, I wish I rode a horse like I drive a car, but I do not, probably for the safety of everybody involved. Um, I like to say I'm an a, a aggressively defensive driver, right? I look for opportunities and I expect everybody else to try to cut me off. <laughs> I so, mean, the parking um... <laughs> lot seemed innocent enough, but you still attacked it as if it, it needed a motocross. It needed course. tire marks. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you had to do donuts. Um, well, you know, I like to show off a little bit sometimes too, Natalie. Mm. Um, inspire a little fear, just so you guys don't talk back and <laughs> hold on for dear life. In other words, um... you can rule a room. <laughs> I mean, I'm not exactly a wallflower. I do, I do, um, you know, I tell people I'm an introvert and they're all like, no, I'm sorry, it's not happening. And it's true. Uh, I do like to be the center of attention, but only on my terms. So there is that. Um, and of course, being in a house of three daughters and a husband and three dogs, uh, I get all of the attention, unfortunately, when I, even when I don't want it. Right as the mother. So yeah, so um, I, as we're introducing ourselves, I am, uh, I'm also a writer, I write nonfiction books, primarily, uh, although not for long, I will be doing a fiction book soon. But I have, you know, a blog, and I write all about confidence and mindset and um, encouraging other people through my story. And I have uh, the horses that help me do that. So bit of a timid writer. But uh, apparently not a timid driver or anything like that. Thanks for calling me out. Well, you know, the car uh, doesn't spook. <laughs> that, that is actually, you know, a point that I would think of. It's like, I trust my reflexes, um, but God knows what the horse is going to do at any given moment, right? So I'm, I'm working on trust. That is, <laughs> that is my number one thing that I'm working on. And, uh, and I found that my day job working as an animal massage therapist helps me do that because I learned to read animals really, really well. So I'm a work in progress, but aren't we all Natalie? I don't know. I, I feel like I'm fully developed and a perfect human. So I'm not really sure <laughs> I'm exactly where I want to be girl. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I would want to pop your little brain balloon, but like, it's so endearing. I can't even. <laughs> you ever heard of a defense mechanism? <laughs> 
Well, you know, and I do the opposite. I kind of insult myself before other people can do it. And I, and, and that's also something I'm working on. So I'm kind of the opposite of you where I just tease and make fun of myself so no one else can. I went straight for the pretentious vibe. And this goes back <laughs> all the way to elementary school. And I have very specific reasons for it. But, um, you know, I do recognize in myself that if I am at all uncomfortable, I will just like pretend that I am the only Nobel laureate in the room. <laughs> But you know what? I think that's great insight because, you know, like like you have a people think you have ADHD. I am also along those same um, same lines. And, you know, everybody, we all have trauma, right, from growing up. And it's a lot of times they say ADHD is actually a learned mechanism from childhood trauma. So, um, but everybody deals with it in a different way. You are hyper-focused. Yeah. And and uh, and prolific, let's say, as I like to tease you about um, <laughs> and pretentious. And I am the opposite. I hide in my little shell in my little bubble behind cameras behind in my little barn with the horses. And I pretend the world doesn't exist. Well, you know, that makes us the perfect odd couple. It really does. <laughs> and I think that's why you and I get along so well. <laughs> we can try to meet in the middle and kind of pry a little bit out of the other. <laughs> So Natalie, in our Adulting with Horses podcast group, uh, which if none of you are members yet, I sincerely hope you come sign up because we're having a lot of fun in there. I like to share memes. We also post questions and uh, you get a chance to really contribute to the podcast. So we did ask for people uh, to give us some questions about getting to know us and anything that they had. And so we had a couple responses today. And Natalie, this first question is for you from our friend Janet. And Janet says, Natalie, I'm tempted to ask when you sleep with all the writing and delivering that goes on, but your dreamland must also be populated with rich characters, beautiful horses, and rich environment. I admire your fountain of creativity, but it also boggles my mind. Now to my question, how do your characters come to you? With so many, I wonder if it's always convenient or can they be like unexpected guests? Well, let's, I love that question for you. I mean, that's a great question because I do have to come up with tons of characters and I do dream some of them. Now, last night I dreamed that I was in a giant Target and I needed to get a coffee um, at the Starbucks. And so I couldn't find it. So that was not a helpful dream. Um, but I do actually dream some characters and stories. And one of them was The Project Horse, which is a book that I just recently uh, brought out in April. Um, and that book came out of waking up and writing down a dream idea. And then I have another book coming out later this year or next year, which is, was another dream with other characters, but I felt so exhausted at the idea of writing a whole new book with new characters that I actually adapted this story to characters that already exist in my universe. So the answer is they definitely can be unexpected and inconvenient guests <laughs> where I go, I literally don't have time for you. I love you. And I'm glad that you appeared in my dreams, but Oh no, you know, like this is terrible. And I, I, the, the, the reason why I, I write so much is because I write so much. Um, and it's like 
writing is a muscle. And if you just flex and flex and flex and flex, and you can tell I don't like exercise. So I'm just using the word flex to stand in for whatever exercises. But if you just keep doing it, you get better at it, right? It just keeps coming to you. And so I see stories in everything that I do, everything I hear, everything I see, I hear a news story and I tune out everything except the lead of the news story because I just turned that into a novel in my head. That's just how I've trained my brain to operate. Um, I think that's awesome advice for anybody who's interested in writing or wants some kind of insight into you because um, like with anything, any job you have to practice. Yeah. You have to have the experience. It's a, and it's a long-term thing, right? Like you don't do this in six months. This is 10 years of publishing and, you know, 20, 30 years of, of writing stories. Um, but 10 years of publishing and, and three years of publishing multiple titles per year, um, where everything has to be fully realized. You can't just kind of write the beginning and run out of steam and wander off and do something else, but like going start, middle, finish. Um, it is absolutely just a question of repetition, really. <laughs> Well, and, and how, how often would you say, so how long does it take you on average to write a book? It takes me about three to four months in different segments. Um, so I'll write a first draft and that will take me maybe a month to six weeks. And then I will write a second draft and that might take three weeks or four weeks. Um, and then I will do a cleanup after that, after I've gotten uh, feedback from other readers and, and um, editing back, I'll do a cleanup segment and that might take a week or two. That's um, awesome. So, so for everybody out there who's listening and maybe ever wanted to write, just so you know that um, Natalie has been doing this a long time and that is something to aspire to, mm -hmm. but it's not expected of you. <laughs> and it's not, you know, it's not always the case. The, the book that I just did, a, I just finished a draft of a book that uh, I am sending out to readers next week, like to early readers. I've been working on this book for five years. I literally don't know how many drafts of it I have. This could be the eighth draft or the ninth draft. I don't know. And I've, and I've had people read it and I have not read their comments and I've still reread it, rewritten it because it wasn't right to me. And I wanted to do right by the characters and the story. And it's literally been in production since 2017, which is just oh, wow. unreal to me. And I'm finally decided out of nowhere, out of the blue, when I'm supposed to be working on something else, I spent two weeks just ripping through the last draft that I had and said, okay, this is the final draft. It just, oh, and do you have a, have a title that you're willing to release? Yes, no? I do yeah. actually. The title of this book is You Must Be This Tall. And it is a Ooh. book about uh, theme park workers. It is not about horses. There is not a single horse in it. Well, that is interesting. <laughs> I've heard that my whole life because I am I am five foot nothing. So you know, <laughs> I get turned away from theme park rides. Well, that's interesting. I mean, because for those of you who don't know or just chiming in, um, Natalie actually did work for Disney for, for how many years now? I worked for Disney for a total of, I want to say eight years, maybe nine in a couple of different chunks. The first chunk was five years. And then there okay. were a few segments later in my 
in my career uh, where I worked for Disney. And I finally, the last time I worked there was when we shut down for the pandemic. And then I sure. was not, I was not asked back. And I said, okay, fine. They didn't, um, it, it turns out they didn't bring back my particular job title. It, it just never returned. So. Well, it just leaves you more time for writing. Yeah, that's what I did. As soon as, you know, the minute I knew I went, that we were closing the parks, I was like, okay, I am writing novels nonstop now. Because like we said before, I'm, I'm hyper-focused and that's how I deal with things. <laughs> well, as you know, I do tend to get hyper-focused as well because of the random messages I send you one after the other, like when I'm all thought bubbling. Yeah. Um, and so now you have time to podcast. Yay! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you ever just want to feel loved, just work on a project with Heather because she will just send you messages nonstop <laughs> at any hour. And we work at completely different, like mentally, our brains work at different hours of the day. So I just, I just, I just yeah, leave them until I can. Do not disturb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I'll, I'll sit down and I'll be like, okay, today I have brain power for this project. And so I'll, that's all that will be on my mind is that project. And so you'll get a million messages and it's just really individual thought bubbles. And I'm sorry in advance for that. No, I love it because I'm, (laughs) you know, I'm the same way. I have days where I write for six or seven hours and I have days where I do marketing and there's not a lot of in between. Yeah. I can't shift back and forth. Like it's really hard for me to shift my mind back and forth for those things. Um, And that actually leads me to Janet's next question. Janet had a question for me, which was uh, whether or not um, Adulting with Horses, which is my new release of the Confessions of a Timid Rider series, was going to be offered as an audio book like Confessions of a Timid Rider. Um, And I didn't even have to think about that because absolutely, yes, but I don't know when (laughs) (laughs) because I have so many balls in the air right now and I just released it that I haven't even... It's on my radar, but I haven't even gotten started talking to the narrator about doing it. Um, so you have yeah, a narrator. I do because, okay. well, this is pre when I had all this fancy, you know, recording equipment set right. up. <laughs> but also, um, like many people, I despise the sound of my own voice. No, your voice um, is super cute. Don't despise. Oh, that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, and uh, and so when I. When I so for Confessions of a Timid Writer and Girl Forward, I use the same narrator. She's kind of got very much a uh, a Heather type of tone down, if you can imagine. It's it's a little bit cheeky, but it's <laughs> it's much more professional than mine is. And so I did have her do it for me, and I outsourced it, and I regret nothing because um, she did an amazing job. So um, I'll probably just for continuity have her do adulting with horses as well um just because it's a series and I want to make sure it's the same tone all the way through so that's yeah that's going to be fun and who knows maybe in the future if I find the time I will do my own audiobook but I just that's, not quite yet yeah they're they're so time consuming I haven't done one of my own yet and I've always wanted to oddly enough uh and I just, every single audiobook I have is done by a narrator because I, I just don't know. That's like another full-time job. And I have like five. It really is, it <laughs> is a full-time job. Yeah. And, you know, you didn't have your um, your little office cave ready at that time. Yeah. To- when I have a cave um, and summer's coming on and you can't do anything outside in the summer in Florida in the afternoon, right? So I'm like, well, mm-hmm. 
maybe things will happen in the cave. We don't know. Or maybe we I'll just take know. a lot of naps. We just don't know. Or maybe we'll just record some podcasts and really have a lot of fun with that. Or both. <sighs> All of it. <laughs> who knows who knows what our hyper focus will bring oh. but I do have a great next question which I think is going to give you the giggles okay. um from Jean from our podcast group we on love Facebook. Jean yes and so she says well this is a kind of multi-part so keep listening before you start giggling do you prefer tea or coffee and do you drink on horseback question mark oh take that yeah take that <laughs> to mean whatever you want also, what is the absolute dumbest thing you've ever done while riding and live to tell about it? Even better if there are no injuries or, unlike my story, no witnesses. Oh, wait, <laughs> so Jean did, did Jean question. tell her story? She didn't, but I think we need to hear it now. I'm, I'm sufficiently intrigued. We're going to have to have her, like, send us a voicemail with her story. She, yes, we'll send a link in the show notes and I'll have to ask her to send, uh, send a voicemail. I'd love to, I would love to hear that, Jean. Thank you. Um, okay, so tea, coffee, or question mark on horseback. Do you drink and ride, Natalie? Do I drink and ride? No, I don't. Um, and I'm not gonna. I'm not going to say that I have any kind of moral or ethical objection to drinking on horseback. It's simply never come up for me. I just have never. It's never come up. Nobody's ever said, "Hey, do you want to have a drink?" Now, a stirrup cup sounds like something that would work for me. You know, What's like before, a cup? so before a fox hunt, when when the hunt meets, there's a tradition of the stirrup cup, which is that everybody has a quick nip of something before they go out, a little liquid courage. And oh, yeah. I think that would be extremely helpful before going out and hunting. I've actually done that before a horse show that I, and there's a reason I don't compete, but it does help. <laughs> It, it, I don't recommend it after you haven't been having panic attacks for a week beforehand and don't have anything in your stomach, but it does help. Yeah, I would think it would steady those hands for sure. Yeah. And so, so you're you know, saying that you have drunk on horseback? Well, but only a little. Nip or two, maybe a <laughs> nip or two. I mean, you know, what happens in Mongolia stays in Mongolia <laughs> because, you know, sometimes you wake up and you're just like, you, you know, it's cold and you have to go out and, and, when we were in the desert, there might have been that instance. However, that being said, it's not a regular thing. I am pushing for a Friday night summer happy hour situation, like a uh, ponies and and um, and wine type situation. Um, I, I was hoping to think for some alliteration there, but I'm not that quick on my feet. So uh, huh. in the summer, my pony really can't be ridden unless it's you know early in the morning or late at night, and it's got to be very light riding because he right. doesn't sweat. So I was thinking it would be great to have a happy hour and just do a little social drinking and bareback ride. Oh, I thought of it. Ponies and Pims. That's really cute. Because it's summer anyway. British, yeah, that's a very British drink. I love it. I love a Pims um, cup. Yeah, that's that's see, thank you for the alliterative help. This is why I have you on. Yeah, I'm good at alliteration good. and alcohol. Yeah. And you can <laughs> you are and it's low, like it's a it's just a it's a light, refreshing summer. It's just a hint of alcohol. It's not like every martinis or something. Exactly. And <sighs> then as a quick aside, I do have to say we had a really funny experience in my barn this week. So I pulled out the Guinness for oh. my pony. Okay. So for those of you who are not aware, because Natalie, are you aware about beer for horses? For non-sweaters? 
Correct. Yes. So my, my pony doesn't sweat. He has anhydrosis. And so every summer I bring out the Guinness and it's got to be Guinness because of the fer- fermentation, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, but he absolutely loves it. And my barn owner is a good friend of mine. Her husband kept hearing that he had beer in the summer and he couldn't believe it. So the other day I brought it to the barn and I said, I rolled in my little cooler and I said, Joe, hey, Joe, do you want to come and see my pony drink his beer? And she goes, absolutely. Yes, I do. <laughs> and he, he caught it on video and he goes, wow, he's really guzzling it down. <laughs> and, and then he goes, look at him. He's got a beer mustache. <laughs> and it was so funny. It really made me giggle because like I'm used to it by now, but this was like the biggest deal in Joe's life that day, at least. And it was so cute. And of course, it was his first beer of the summer. So Ferris was quite enjoying it, slurping and making all silly sounds. And uh, so that I thought that was really cute. So Ferris does drink and ride. <laughs> <laughs> it is honestly so endearing how much horses love beer. <laughs> they're like, yeah. it's it's a drink made from corn. Yay. Like They're just so into it. <laughs> It's really funny. And he's got a special little bowl that I clean out and he gets really rude about it. Like he, he starts tossing his head when he sees the bowl come out because he knows it's coming. It's really cute. That's amazing. Um, So yeah. So, so Jean, um, I don't tend to drink and ride, but my horse does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and, and so the second part of her question was, um, you know, was the dumbest thing you've ever done while riding and lived to tell about it and I mean my god I I don't really have a lot of funny stories because I'm such a timid rider that I do the opposite of dumb like I make sure that there's no dumb things and if there's going to be dumb I'd rather stay on the ground and let other people do the dumb stuff (laughs) did you do dumb Um, stuff as a teenager I mean yeah because I feel like my dumbest story was when I was a teenager was it well what was your dumbest story okay so I've done a lot of dumb things, like incredibly dumb things, but this popped into my head just now. So I feel like that's a contender. So when I was a teen, I was at this big eventing barn in Maryland and we had like, we were just all eventing mad teenagers. It was like a British pony story. All any of us ever did was like get on our horses and go jump cross country jumps. And we had a ton of cross country jumps. So the trainer unveiled this new um, table jump, which is a like a it was like a picnic table jump. So it was a big, solid kind of rectangular box with a sort of step on either side, which made it kind of inviting, right? Because it stepped up and a horse looks at a fence that steps up and they go, oh, I know to take off here. Like it helps with their, their bascule. So, but it was big and we were all looking at it. It it was, it was like a monolith had been dropped in the pasture. I was bareback, Heather. I was the only one on a horse. Everybody else, I was just goofing around. I was just on my horse, just like, I'm a teenager. I have no brain. And they said, you should jump Rillo over that. His name was Amarillo. It's a really, it's a story for another day. You should jump Rillo over that. And I said, oh, Rillo would love this jump. And I faced him towards it. And he was the kind, he was a point and shoot horse. And he kind of revved up underneath of me. And so I put my leg on and cantered him up to this massive picnic table and 
let him jump it. I say let him because I didn't really give him any cue or anything because again, really dumb teenager with a racehorse. You just point them and they go, right? He wasn't exactly sure what he was jumping and somewhere mid jump, he got the idea that maybe he should bank it and he kind of paused like he was going to put his legs down. It was very interesting because I was, you know, you can feel everything when you're bareback. And I'm like, did my horse just stop jumping? Is he no longer jumping? And I heard this weird noise. And then he kind of completed the fence. And it turned out that he had put down his foreleg a little bit. And he drug his front hoof across the top and left this really deep groove in it. Oh, my God. And the trainer was so mad that I made a mark on her new jump. <laughs> Yeah, that's why she was mad. I would have been mad that you almost died. No, 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 no. There was there was nothing like real supervision at this farm. It was really fun. Like <laughs> the the running wild that went on, I've never experienced anything like it. And this was in the 90s, so it's it was already in the age of litigation, but it didn't matter. It was just everyone was between the ages of 14 and 17. And we were all completely unsupervised and just running wild. It was incredible. Um, wow. And so I feel like if I had that growing up, I would have been a completely different writer. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible because we we did so many bad things. Like it was the best. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a little bit jealous, although I never probably I don't know if I ever had the chutzpah to do anything like that, but um that is impressively anti-humble pie. I mean, you went for it. We And that's, yeah, it's just what we did. And, you know, that was probably part of my whole, like, I'm the best one in the room kind of thing. Like, that was probably part of my own self-destructive tendency to show off because we would do things like set the jumps up to the very top of the standards and just jump our horses over them six feet. Like, we just did stuff. We just did whatever came into our heads. We just freaking did it. Um, and oh my God. we were, we're almost all on like, off track thoroughbred. So they were like, cool. <laughs> they had no let's opinion. Just do it. She said it was okay. <laughs> Mom said it was athletic. That was so. what it was. Oh my God. It was insane. Oh my God. That is actually crazy. <laughs> like, like, that is like the opposite. That's you're the anti Heather. Like you're the anti timid writer. Well, I was, because, but I was 16. Wow. I mean, I was 15 I actually. I mean, I was a completely different person. <laughs> I know, but like I'm looking back and I'm like, I mean, yeah, I galloped and I did all these fun things. I mean, but I was at such a regimented like performance barn that we didn't even we weren't even allowed to tack up our own horses. I didn't learn how to cinch a horse until I was in my 30s. That's incredible. So I don't have that experience and I've, I, I've ridden, I mean, I guess, I guess the dumbest thing I ever did, if we're going to think about it being like a worrier that I am would get on a, a racehorse, like a Mongolian racehorse. Oh yeah. That and was dumb. You shouldn't have done that. That, that was dumb. And, <laughs> and then I got dumber because there was all these, we were at base camp and they surprised me. Right. So my friend Camille, who was the founder and director of this ride, she could host Oh, Heather, are you wearing good shoes, you know, for the, because I was taking photos. I was like, yeah, I'm ready. She goes, okay, cool, cool, cool. We get outside. She hands me a horse. She's like, don't say no, just get on. <laughs> what? 
so she knew that I, if I had time to think about it, I'd panic, right? And come up with an excuse of why I couldn't do it. And she even had one of the nomads come and grab my camera. So I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't say a thing. Um, and the problem with the footing at the base camp was that it was filled with marmot holes. So there's a small rodent. And so it's like having a, a, like a thousand gopher holes. And so these horses, you had to avoid the holes because the horses would trip and fall. It was extremely dangerous. And Plus the horse could just like take off across the endless step with you, right? It was a race horse like that they take to Nadam in the summer nomad games and they race and they go, don't worry, he's quiet. <laughs> I said, okay, but I don't think you know like what a timid rider is. And they were like, no, 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 he's quiet. I don't we think they have child the, on him. the word timid is probably not in their language. Like they don't oh, even definitely have. Not. <laughs> definitely not. I mean, the jockeys are six years old. So like putting a child on a horse is not make me feel better in any way, shape or form. But then it got worse. So I don't know if this was dumb or if I just was so incredibly embarrassed. I'll say embarrassing was then the, the head, the head vet. He then led me like a child. Oh, I swear. He, yeah, he grabbed my bridle and he rode next to me and he had all the other nomads riding next to me. And he was so afraid that I'd put leg on this horse and the horse would take off that he just held me. And then I felt so dumb and I felt so, I mean, it was sweet. He was trying to protect me, but I was like, oh my God, this is what they think of me. Like, <laughs> Well, look at it like this though. At least he ponied you and he didn't walk you from the ground like you were at a petting That's true. Zoo. <laughs> he did pony me. That's true. <laughs> Oh my God. It was, just, it was so embarrassing. And then, so luckily at the end of the ride, we have an officials race. And by that time I've been watching people ride all week and I'm so jealous. Right. And so they ended up putting me on a different horse. One of my favorite nomads gave me his favorite horse. And, uh, and I raced, I galloped that horse by myself. Thank you very much <laughs> across. And I, I galloped against, you know, the head vet and the other officials and, and everything like that. So I redeemed myself, but I mean, getting on a horse, I don't know, with no fences, and it's a racehorse. I mean, that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever done, but I think I was just mostly embarrassed. <laughs> it, it also illustrates that there's a really fine line between being dumb and having the adventure of a lifetime. Yes, because yeah. I really regret nothing. Right, exactly. Um, I would have regretted it if I didn't get on the horse. Yeah, you would have always been like, oh, yeah, I could have done this and I didn't. People would say, did you ride horses in Mongolia? You'd be like, no, I just took pictures of them. I know, right? Yeah, so. That would have been really upsetting, I think. So I'm glad that I. Risk reward ratio. Yeah. But they, you know what they didn't do? They didn't give me any vodka beforehand. That would have been nice. What do they drink? They drink uh, Arag, which is oh. fermented mare's milk. And uh, vodka is very popular. It's cheaper than water out there. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of alcohol available. Wow. Yeah. And what's Arag like? Shot. Did you have Arag? Arag tastes disgusting. <laughs> um, I know some people that absolutely love it and swear by it. Um, so I, and it's an insult if you don't take it. Like this is very much a, um, a cornerstone of their diet. It's mm -hmm. filled, according to them, with vitamins, probiotics and things like that they give it to their children I mean it is interesting and it, it tastes like sour milk and I'm lactose intolerant oh so it was just not a 
good idea in general. So every time they would fill my cup, I would hand it to someone surreptitiously. Um, and so I got a lot of people drunk that, that <laughs> couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. So um, I do not recommend, but if you get the chance to go to Mongolia and a no-band invites you into their home and you see a sheep or a goat on the floor and they offer you food and an air and arag please take it because they don't have a lot and and they really love company and um to share what they have so uh you know i didn't want to be rude but it was it was pretty crazy so maybe that was the dumbest thing i ever did was try mongolian food while lactose intolerant maybe and that's really good to know because i actually mongolia is very high on my list and uh i don't i'm not lactose intolerant but i'm not super into milk either so hmm. Well, if you ever go, let me know. I have a lot of cheat sheets for you. And who knows, sometimes, I mean, I would love to go back and I have some out there. So it would be very cool. (laughs) Very cool. Just make a plan. Sounds good. Okay, so on this episode's Pop Corner, we're talking about things trending in the horse world. And with the Triple Crown happening recently... We're going to be talking, or the not triple crown, we're going to talk a little bit about Rich Strike and what happened with the Outrider horse um, during the Kentucky Derby. Oh, the Outrider. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, we could talk about, I just think Rich Strike in general, I mean, this is a horse that wasn't supposed to race, got put on the docket that morning because of, of a horse that got pulled and went from he was what 89 or something to he one was, odds yeah like 80 to one something like insane um and so that is a pretty amazing thing but then of course we have him all amped up after the event as well um so natalie did you watch this at all i did watch it yeah i was standing on a street corner in uh in high springs <laughs> as you do natalie <laughs> oh my goodness uh yeah i stand <laughs> on the street corner and i say hey baby you want to watch a horse race with me <laughs> And I hold up my phone. There baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we were going to watch it at a brewery. And then the brewery had like every single human in North Florida at it. And I don't even think it had the horse race on. So um, we were walking to a sandwich shop and it was on. So we watched it on. We always watch everything on Twin Spires because we don't have cable. So um, we watched it on our phone and it was like, oh, my God, there goes long shot that was not in the race until this morning okay but that to me is like that's the essence of the Kentucky Derby to me I my personal approach to the Kentucky Derby is to never think about it and not care because it's such an outlier race um a horse can win the Kentucky Derby and never win anything else and it doesn't mean anything big or strange it doesn't mean the breeding industry is doing everything wrong. It doesn't mean the breeding industry is doing anything right. It's literally a really long race early in the year for a three-year-old and who it, it, and 20 horses go into it, which is so everything about every variable about the Kentucky Derby is makes it sort of irrelevant to every other race in the United States, in my opinion. Oh, that's super interesting. I actually, Every year I miss every single Triple Crown race because I'm doing something on the weekends right? or I'm working or whatever. And so I just catch it on video. But I've been to Churchill Downs, but I am not 
super aware of the horse racing industry like you are, even though I've got an ex racer and I've worked with some of them. Yeah. Um, so I found I found the video watching it afterwards. The recap video of the drone footage was kind of amazing. Right. Yeah. When you see something like that, you see a horse that, you know, they've got that killer turn of foot where all of a sudden they just turn on in that last, you know, quarter of the race. That's something that I want to see more of. And the that's I'm interested in horses like that because I like a horse that can go long. And by long, I mean, you know, more than a mile and an eighth. Um, and so you do wonder, like, is he going to do something like that in longer races? But there, you know, at that at the grade one level, there aren't a ton of longer races. That's just not what U.S. racing is primed for. And so that's another thing where you go, OK, the Triple Crown celebrates horses that can run short and long. Right. They can run a mile and a quarter way before they should be old enough to run a mile and a quarter. And then they can run a regular length race like the Preakness. And then they run a mile and a half, which like no horse in the United States does the rest of the year. Um, so it it celebrates freaks, basically. And there's nothing wrong with being a freak. But I mean, after all, we're all freaks. Right? Yeah, we're weird. But I don't think it says anything. Like, I don't worry about it. I don't go, are we going to have a triple crown? Because I, I don't think it says anything in particular about the state of racing at all there's just too many variables of horses a horse could have won it on friday and he can't win it on saturday because he woke up you know on the wrong side of the stall doesn't mean anything yeah or maybe it's a little muddy that day and he doesn't like the mud or maybe they're Mm -hmm. on grass or you know i mean there's i guess i guess really what the triple crown in your vein would celebrate would be the versatility of the horse yeah it, it it does um it, it's the triple crown is looking for an, a versatile horse for whom everything has gone right on three separate days. Um, I just, it doesn't seem to what I, what I would be more interested in. And I think most racing fans would agree with me on this is just a longer and um, more versatile career for a horse and insurance and, you know, the cost of insuring a stallion, to keep running him after he's won the triple crown basically makes that impossible. It's always insurance. Yeah. That's um, I mean, I had the benefit of getting to see, I was in Keeneland recently and we went to Ashford stud and I got to see a meet American Pharaoh and justify and uncle Mo and, <laughs> and some really, Oh, uncle Mo is a hoot. Oh my God. He knows his worth. It's really funny. <laughs> and I felt kind of dumb, um, not knowing as much about these, all these horses that they showed us, except for the triple crown winners. Right. And I guess it just shows me how kind of set apart I am for it. But, uh, cause I'm on the other side of things, right? Like I, I might photograph a race here or there if, a publication wants an article on it but for the most part I'm working at on the horses and the the backside so I'm doing the massage therapy on these performance animals and obviously the goal would for me to be working on a triple crown winner or something like that would be amazing to help them get to that point but um so it's funny I met Donna Barton Brothers at the recent American Horse Publications Conference and she's works for NBC Sports and you know she was a jockey for some time and she does all the post-race interviews and she has this book about it. It's basically, it's not called horse racing for dummies, but it's basically <laughs> horse racing for dummies. And I was thinking to myself, I've been in the horse industry for a long time now, not as long as lifers, but enough. And I have this thoroughbred who did race 
my God, I'm like a kindergartner. I think I might buy this book and read a little bit more about it because I'm just not um, as aware, you know, you know, from the bodywork perspective, I know that they're raised when they're young and their bones are still growing. And there's a lot of things I don't love about it. I understand their reasonings for it. Um, I do somewhat disagree, but then you have these, some of these great smaller barns that are really doing what they can to make these animals as comfortable as possible and treat them like royalty. Right. Um, and some of the bigger barns too. I just feel like sometimes the, the animal itself gets lost when there's lost too many the people shopping. having opinions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that um, it's, that's the really, that's the most common equestrian response in the U S I don't know about other countries is racing is is something else. It's something different. It's very hard to understand. And that was why, you know, why I approached getting involved with racing and getting a job on the backside the way that I did, because I needed to know for myself what the industry was and how it worked. And there's very, very few opportunities to do that without going to the track and getting a job. And so that's what I did. I had worked at training centers when I was a teen or like 18, 19 in Ocala. I worked with young horses. I'd started yearlings, that whole thing, but I hadn't actually worked on the track. And so when I was 30, I went to Aqueduct and got a job as an exercise rider and learned everything that I could Um, (laughs) because it made me crazy that I didn't know it intimately, that I only knew the things that I could read you know, in magazines or websites, and there's not that much stuff. And that was the same thing that I wrote about. That was the motivation of the characters in The Hidden Horses of New York um, was that they were starting a publication to help non-racing aficionados understand how the sport worked, how the barns work, what's going on on the backside, and running into difficulty because it's not it's a closed-lipped kind of place. Um, it is very much a closed community, and it right. is hard to it is hard to get in. And and it's funny because so many people have these opinions about the horses or the horses' welfare, but they don't actually see how the horses are taken care of or what their their regimen is like or mm-hmm. the affection they receive. And so, or the science even behind you know, things like starting horses young, there's, there's science to support these things. And I'm not saying that I'm a huge supporter of two-year-old racing because I'm not, but there, but there's a reason there is, there are so, there is so much scientific research in the racehorse industry because of the problem with the racehorse industry, the money. And we all benefit Every single horse person benefits from the money invested in resources, whether we like it or not. And so it it not only behooves us to know as much as we can about it and make really informed decisions, but it would really behoove the racehorse industry to help educate beyond the human interest stories or beyond, you know, you can dress up and bet. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point. When I was at Keeneland, we did a tour and as some of us, you know, as, as horse professionals were asking to go on the backside, we were asking to go to the barns and see, because we were able to do the regular tour and we were able to see the horses breathing and exercising. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wanted to see the behind the scenes stuff that people don't normally get to see. And they were very particular about not allowing any of the media to do that. Um, and I understand there's liability. I understand that there's privacy 
But I think if, if someone were to take on that onus and to say, listen, this is horse racing, this is horse racing and show us exactly. I think you'd have a lot more supporters of it. And yeah. I think you'd have a lot more because even my husband says, I'm shocked that you would take the girls to go to our local track, which is Mammoth Park. And I said, you don't understand. I've worked with amazing trainers. I've worked with amazing breeders. And it's what you hear for some or what you see on the news is not the full story. Um, and I also work with harness racing and, and things like that. And so I, there's good and bad in every discipline. And yep. I think that's really important to show mm-hmm. and to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, and that could have been solved by partnering with one trainer who would give a tour of their, of their shed row, you know? Absolutely. And it you can see like minutes of your time. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, that's an interesting thought. Maybe we should start a shed road tour, like an annual one. Saratoga would be, would be cool. a very good place to do that. Saratoga would be a good place. It's, uh, it's a beautiful track. We know some people up there mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I think we could potentially do a little takeover, a little racetrack takeover. I think we could, you know, any excuse is a good excuse to go to Saratoga in the summer. You know, I've never been. Oh, I know. Let me and tell it's not you. far from my Vermont cab. It's not far from my Vermont home. So uh, that's uh, all the excuse maybe, you need right there. Maybe you have to come up. So leave Florida in the summer and come <laughs> up and visit me. And then in February, I'll come visit you in Ocala. <laughs> you know, I, I have to tell you, I, I, you know, everybody's got a lottery list. They win the lottery. My lottery list. The first thing on my lottery list is not a huge farm in Ocala. It is a very nice house in Saratoga Springs proper. <laughs> A summer house that I will only live in for six weeks out of the year (laughs) is the dream. Wonderful. That is how specifically in love with Saratoga I am. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it's amazing. I think we might have to make a date. We might have to do a podcast live from Saratoga. I'm 100% in. (laughs) I think you need to book your flight. Well, and so my my um my I think my cabin's only about an hour and a half away from there. And we could always stay in Saratoga too, but I mean, I could just, sorry, honey, see you later. And my adulting fail of the week would be um, that I keep leaving my husband in charge of my children to go gallivant and do fun things. Is that really a fail? <laughs> that sounds like an absolutely correct use of your time. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a brag. I'll be honest. Um, you know, I, my husband hasn't lost his mind um, about it, <laughs> but he came to me yesterday and he said, you know, a lot of my coworkers are wondering exactly why I put up with this. And I said, don't question it. Just you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's important to be different and stand out. So be the nice guy um, at work. That's what I'm just saying. Like he's just, I've been bragging about him. He doesn't want to make me look stupid. Like he's got to hold, hold up to my expectations. Absolutely. <laughs> I guess, you know, if we're going to talk about how we're bad at adulting, my adulting fail of the week is that I am moving out of this apartment for good in like three days and I haven't packed anything in as many days. I've just been letting my poor husband handle everything. Well, not even that. Didn't you have a party or something with your with your son's graduation? My so son, not only well, not packing, but you're just partying. I'm not. I mean, my son graduated high school. That's an adulting win. <laughs> that is a huge achievement. I raised a child through the end of high school. Um, so he deserved a little bit of a party for that. Uh, and so did you. It's not easy to raise a child. Oh, that's an understatement. Um, 
I'm the queen of them. And he was, you know, and he he was in really rigorous programs and he, he's very tired and ready to sleep for the rest of the summer because um, it was, you know, it was a rough four years. He spent one of it entirely digital and uh, dealt with all the hybrid and back and forth and Zoom classes and things like that. And he still, he graduated in the top 10% of his class. That's huge. That's a, that's an adulting win. I think you have an adulting win. So screw them packing and the moving. You have an adulting win of the week. Now. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to slide on that for the rest of the week. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the perfect way to end this episode. Heather has an adulting fail and <laughs> but it's secretly a win. <laughs> wink wink nudge nudge. And you're adulting for the win, raising a child, sending him off uh, into the world a better human being than hopefully he started hopefully (laughs) (laughs) well i think that is a fantastic closing for this week's episode natalie it's been so much fun as always talking with you and thank you for being so not pretentious this entire conversation i've really (laughs) (laughs) well heather you make it easy what can I say? <laughs> well, I am pretty awesome. See, look, it's the pretension is, has shifted to me. <laughs> uh, no, it's always so much fun uh, hanging out and talking. And for all of you out there who are listening, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast uh, uh, everywhere where podcasts drop and on the Horse Radio Network, as well as joining our Adulting with Horses podcast Facebook group, where we have quite a bit of fun. Yes, please come. Heather puts memes that are way too on the nose and I feel deeply shamed, but also deeply amused about my life as a weird horse girl. It's fantastic. (laughs) I like to keep it going. I like to make everybody laugh and I like to laugh mostly at myself. So come join and laugh at me with me as well. I'm not going to